Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, June 20th. It's on how to approach the intake process without spending hours on assessments. As BCBAs, we know that sometimes the new learner intake process can seem to take forever, but our learners need to get started with programming and make progress as soon as possible. So how can we streamline the intake process so that it doesn't consist of hours of assessments? Join us live on Thursday, June 20th at 12 p.m. Eastern time, as Sheer and I walk you through our intake process with lots of video exemplars of different learners and teach you how to use our assessment with ease. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At HowToABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Each month in our behavior resource community, we host a live CEU webinar where we bring our members together and we cover a topic that you can get a CEU on. Even if you can't attend live, these meetings are always recorded and you can still get the CEU to when you watch the recording. This month, we are hosting a much sought after topic, which is an ethics CEU. So by attending live or by watching the recording, you'll be able to get one ethics CEU. This month's CEU credit is a much sought after ethics credit. It's about recognizing bias, which is a new topic in our code and very much needed. Um, So it's about recognizing bias, but not only recognizing bias, but what we can do about it. Uh, It'll be one ethics CEU um, and it will be Wednesday, May 18th at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time if you want to join live. Um, If you can't join live, don't worry. There it It's going to be recorded and uh, you can still gain an asynchronous uh, ethics credit for that. And as Shira said, um, all our CEUs are free for our members. So to find out more, you can go to members.howtoaba.com slash join. And we hope to see you there. Hi, everyone. On today's podcast, we are going to be talking about data collection for behavior management. So we're talking about, you know, when you're confronting challenging behavior, you're going to embark on writing some sort of behavior plan. Um, So how can we look at that data collection process? What does that look like specifically for behavior reduction goals? So Shira, oftentimes, you know, we go in and, and, you know, the first question is, oh, well, you know, I've got a child who is engaging in X, Y, or Z behavior. What do I do about it? And, you know, I look at them and say, okay, well, well, why? And as behavior analysts, we know, you know, we need to find out what the function is, you know, why are they doing that? So, you know, one of the very first steps is, okay, let's find out the function. And, you know, if you can't do, you know, a functional analysis right away, you want to at least put in some type of ABC data sheet or something along that lines to see if you can find out the function that way. 
Yeah. And then you want to work together to first define the behavior. So what are we talking about? What is the behavior that we're looking to collect the data on Um, and get very specific so that everybody's on the same page with that. And then you'll start collecting the ABC data specifically based on that behavior that you're targeting. And what I find sometimes is that it ends there because sometimes like people are thinking, Oh my gosh, it's so awful. The behavior is happening so often and, and it's, you know, so detrimental. Then you say, okay, so, you know, let's take a week and, you know, collect the data on it. And then they come back and it's like, it it happened once and, and it was a small incident. So sometimes that step of just collecting the data kind of slows people down to see, is this really something that is really a problem or is it not a problem? Is it something that happens more as a one-off, you know, and then we would treat that differently than having, you know, a big behavior reduction plan. I like what you said, Shira, about defining the behavior as well, because oftentimes, you know, you've got one person coming to you and saying, you know, the child does this, um, but then, you know, you say, okay, collect data on it, but everyone's collecting data on something different. So not only defining what it is, but what it's not, okay, it does not include when they do this. It only includes this part. Um, The other thing that I like to define is what I call, quote unquote, an episode of behavior. So meaning if, you know, you've got a child engaging in, I don't know, non-contextual vocalizations, for instance. Well, when does one vocalization start and when does one stop? Um, Or if you've got, you know, say, chin pressing or self-injurious behavior of some other kind, you know, is it just one chin press? Um, But what if they do it multiple times in a row? Is that 40 chin presses, but it's all within one period? Or is that actually just one episode? So really defining what that looks like as well. Um, But then with the ABC, you know, you mentioned that sometimes it's like a non-issue. Okay. So it happened once in the last week and I've come back and I've looked at it. Uh, But sometimes the flip side can occur as well is that, you know, just looking at it and tracking data, you actually it's happened more and you recognize that you're like, wow, this is happening all the time. I can't believe it. I can't even, my pen can't even keep up with my ABC data. Um, So, you know, in that case, obviously, you know, something has to be done about it. Um, But the ABC data collection sheet has to look a little bit different as well. If you've got somebody who is engaging in negative behavior a lot throughout the day, Um, because I often find that feedback from teachers is I can't be writing all the time. I have a class to teach. I can't be doing this all the time. I have other things to do. So, you know, being able to create a really quick check, 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 you know, so it's check mark, check mark, check mark, check mark, instead of me having to write, you know, basically an essay about what the child did. Yes, there's different versions of those ABC data sheets. If something happens, you know, once or twice a day, then the ones with a lot of free form writing um, would probably be fine. And I usually emphasize that I don't I don't need to know what happened the entire day for the last three hours until this challenging behavior, but literally just tell me what happened right before. And the person might think it's not relevant, you know, just because I gave him a worksheet doesn't mean you shouldn't know about what happened at recess and what happened at lunch and how upset he was when he got there in the morning. Um, and that might be relevant, but not right now in terms of like just ABC purposes. I just want to know that I I handed him a worksheet and that, you know, that led to the behavior. Um, so being very clear and specific on what your expectations are, but then there's also ABC data sheets, like Sheena said, that are basic checkoff sheets that are much easier to fill in. Um, and so take that into consideration with how often the behavior is happening and who you're giving to fill in these data sheets. One of my biggest pet peeves about ABC data collection is that it goes on for so long. So Shira, I liked when you said, well, and you check back in a week. Well, of course you check back in a week. Um, If you can't check back in a week, making sure that you can at least check 
in um, and seeing, you know, how much they got, or if you can at least get it, you know, scanned to you or something, because oftentimes I'll go in and say, oh, we've been collecting ABC on that for a month. Or, hey, look at, you know, this is the whole school year. Here's all the data from the whole school year. And this is what we have. Um, and that's really overwhelming. Number one, it's overwhelming for people who are collecting that data. Um, but it's also overwhelming for people who have to analyze that data. Um, and I guess the question is, is that if you're collecting data for that long, why? Why? Haven't you determined the function yet? Um, and if you haven't, there's got to be a better way to determine function than reams and reams of ABC. So our general rule of thumb is, you know, put the ABC data piece, data collection piece in place for, you know, one to two days, maybe a week maximum, and then convert to something else. Yeah. And this is part of the functional assessment process. Like all of these steps that we're going to talk about are part of figuring out the function, figuring out what we could do instead, those replacement behaviors. And usually, or often, you can get that from a week's worth of ABC data, again, depending how often the behavior is happening. But the purpose is that we've collected enough information now to proceed through and have a, a, a hypothesis about what the function could be. Um, sometimes the ABC data don't give you enough information about what the hypothesis is. But then instead of just continuing to collect the data, you can move to the next step, which is, might be a functional analysis. It might be something more intense in terms of figuring out the function because our purpose right now in collecting this data is to try to figure out why is this behavior happening like what is going on what are those antecedents what are the triggers what are the precursors what could the function be and that's really the purpose of collecting all this information and so hopefully after a week or so you're able to look at that data and you're able to get a sense of what those triggers antecedents precursors and all those things are you may also want to do some informal interviews with the staff with the parents with the caregivers to give you a little bit more insight into that. Um, but then you can pretty safely move on to the next step in the process, which is, you know, determining the function and writing up some plan for those antecedent interventions and consequence interventions. We could go on and on about how to write up those plans and what they look like, but that's not really the purpose of this podcast. So, you know, let's talk about data collection once you've gone through your ABC, once you've determined the function, and once you put a plan in place. Um, really, you know, we would move away from ABC quite quickly and we would go on to something like frequency or duration uh, because we want to, you know, see how often this is happening or how long the behavior is happening throughout the day. Yeah, so the nice thing about the ABC data is it also gives you a baseline um, on our ABC data sheets. It well, the frequency is the inc that each incident would be its own its own you know point on that graph, and our data sheets also included the duration. So if it's relevant, then you would get that frequency and duration information from the ABC data sheets, which does give you a good baseline, um, and then you can move into taking either both frequency and duration ongoing and not needing to take that ABC data um, or one or the other. And how do you kind of determine which, which it is? Um, and that really depends on what the behavior looks like. So frequency gives us a lot of information at, into how often something is happening. So if we're talking about a behavior that's happening a lot and our goal is for it to happen less often, then frequency would be, you know, a good indication. But something to keep in mind is that if it's happening like really a lot, like we're talking about, you know, 
10 times a minute or so, then you may want to look at episodes and looking at something as a whole episode of that kind of behavior. So something like screaming, you know, if a child's in the middle of a tantrum and they're screaming, then that's all part of one tantrum episode. And you may be taking frequency of tantrums, including screaming, aggression, or compliance, whatever that looks like, but you're not going to have to take frequency of every time they screamed. So that comes back to really defining the behavior and figuring out what's going to give you the best information as to whether these um, interventions are working or not. So is if you have information that it's decreasing, then that will tell you, well, yeah, this intervention is working. So frequency would be really great for something that happens a lot. So if we're talking about, you know, aggression towards others, and that's happening 10 times a day or 10 episodes a day, and the goal is for it to happen no more than, you know, once a week, then I think frequency would be a really good measure of, you know, is this intervention working? And we'll know if it's working if the frequency of the episodes are decreasing. Um, so that that's a really good one. Duration is really good for if you want to know if the the length of the episode is changing. So we usually like to use duration for something like a tantrum episode or an episode where it only it doesn't happen as often. So you may have one tantrum a day and it can continue to have one tantrum a day and you won't know if it's getting better or not because it's still one tantrum a day. But the best measure is going to be, well, it started as a three-hour tantrum, and now it's a 20-minute tantrum. And that's a lot of progress. And you wouldn't see that from frequency um, data, and you would only see that from duration. So something that's not happening so often, but the length is important or the duration of the episode is important, then you want to take duration. Um, you could do both if that's doable and if it's relevant to do both. Um, I I often do because if you're already taking duration, you automatically have the frequency data. So it's not really an extra step. Um, but those would be, you know, some, some reasons to, to continue to take frequency and duration. So can I tell you a few experiences I've had? So I've gone in to take a look at programs and take a look at, you know, behavior data, et cetera. And, you know, a few things that stand out to me are, you know, some people take data on frequency or they take data on duration, but then they graph it across an entire day. And sometimes they just graph it in a period, et cetera. And what do I mean by that is that someone may come in and take duration data and say, okay, so one tantrum was five minutes, one tantrum was half an hour, one tantrum was... 35 minutes, et cetera. But then they lump it all together and they say, okay, so the duration throughout the day, this day, this child tantrum for approximately two hours a day. And the next day they lump them all together and they, that information doesn't tell me anything that tells me, okay, well, sure. It tells me that they've tantrumed for two hours out of their day, but it doesn't tell me that they tantrumed four times throughout the day. And it doesn't tell me, well, you know, most of this, the average is about 20, you know, 20 minutes or, you know, the, the longest one was this long and the shortest one was this long. So typically what I recommend is when you're choosing a data collection uh, system, find out what you want to know. Like, what do you want to know about these data? Do you want to know, is it, you know, happening more in the morning than the afternoon? Well, then great. If you do want to know that, then you want to graph those separately, right? Graph, you know, it, it, there's no rule that says you need to graph because it's on this date. You have to put all the data in one data point on this date. You can divide it up and you can have two different data points on your graph, one for the morning and one for the afternoon. If you want to know if it happens specifically during, I don't know, math class versus English class, 
then you can have that and divide it up per period. So frequency per period. Um, if you want to know duration, for instance, and duration per tantrum instead of duration across the whole day, my suggestion is to divide it up. So I would have, you know, if there, there was four different tantrums, you would have four different marks on your graph for duration. And like, you know, what Shira said is if you're taking data on that duration, if you've got four different marks on your graph, you automatically know the frequency is four. So looking at all of that will tell you more information about the behavior than trying to, you know, lump it all together and say, well, I was told I have to graph it. So I put one dot on the graph. Um, so that, that does tend to help too. Um, I just want to go back just a note on that episode and to give you a personal experience. So I was working with a kiddo a while ago who used to engage in chin pressing. And what I meant by chin pressing is he would actually take the back of his hand and press it to his chin, which doesn't seem that bad, except when it got into like a really, he'd whack it. So he would really whack really hard um, his hand to his chin. And, you know, we were taking data frequency data on that. Um, but we really needed to sit and define the behavior because he would, you know, do this over and over again. And it would be like a whack, 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 stop. Now, is that eight wax or is that one? Um, we didn't call it wax. We called it chin pressing. Uh, but what, what do you define that is, as? And, you know, we had this huge discussion. And the reason we def ended up defining it as an episode is because I don't care. I mean, I do care if he, you know, hurts himself and he, you know, hurt, you know, has had eight versus 200. But when it gets beyond five, I can't count that fast anyways. And I'm, you know, clicker, 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 clicker. It just doesn't work. So from a functional and practical standpoint, we, you know, captured episodes, but not just from a, you know, practical standpoint, but because I wanted to know, I didn't really care about the number of chin presses per episode. I cared about, you know, the episodes themselves, because I can tell, you know, if an episode lasted 20 seconds versus two seconds, I know that he had more chin presses in a 20 second episode. So that's all I needed to know. And I needed to know how often the episodes were because the trigger was, you know, was the episode or the, the episode was based on a specific trigger, not, you know, 40 chin presses in that specific episode. Um, does that make sense? So that's why we chose the episode instead um, because I didn't need to see 200 chin presses throughout the day. I needed to see, oh, that was seven or that was 20 episodes of chin pressing that means there's 20 different triggers and using something like a scatter plot i think to your other point would give you good information on what's happening throughout the day or um you know duration per episode or something like that which is which is really handy and the other thing i i often remind people is don't forget to graph on days that are zero because sometimes you forget to look at the date and it just looks like high frequency high duration of challenging behavior and then if you look more closely it's like well this was only really once a week they forgot all the other days that it was zero which would totally change the trend. Um, so remember to tell your staff to also graph days that are zero. Um, it also helps pretend to like the good days, right? Not just getting all that graphing done on, on you know, the, the harder days or the bad days. Um, and when we'll often use something also called partial interval recording, um, which gives you frequency and duration information, but it's probably best for behaviors that are almost constant. So if we're talking about for, for, you know, both good and bad. So if we're talking about, you know, attending on task behavior, um, um, automatic type of sensory behavior, um, things that you're looking at, and it, it could go on for, for minutes, um, sometimes, you know, 20, 30 minute episodes, and they happen pretty frequently throughout the day, then something like partial interval recording is a really easy way to notice when an episode starts 
you mark that on the graph and then you know when the episode finishes and you mark that on the on the data sheet and then it gives you information as to like when what time of the day this is happening was it at 9 30 was it at 3 p.m it gives you information as to how long the episodes last and it's just an, an easier way to get that information versus like remembering, you know, a clicker or remembering to like click every time it happens or remembering to look at the clock and then write it down. So having that data sheet is an easy way to get that information. If it's something that happens a lot, if it's not something that is happening a lot throughout the day, then just basic frequency and duration are probably enough. Um, but that partial interval is another option. It does overestimate the behavior generally, because, but that's why it's more appropriate for behaviors that anyway are happening pretty often. You wouldn't use it for like, you know, one act of aggression and then record the entire interval for that one hit or that one behavior when it's just, it's so short. So we're talking about using it for longer behaviors that are happening for longer periods of time. What I like about the partial interval recording or the way we do it anyways, is that it's not that cumbersome. Um, you know, I've been in ABA clinics where, you know, you're walking around with a clipboard and you've got you know, four pieces, you know, four pages of data collection and there's a timer going off for the interval. And then you got to stop that timer. There's another timer. And then you got to do this. You got to do this. And you have to actually teach on top of all this. And it's just so confusing um, that I can't even imagine being a teacher in a classroom, being responsible for, you know, 20 or more students and having all these, you know, behavior graphs and everything else going on, um, it gets confusing. So what I've often done is I've often recommended uh, what we call the partial interval training, but we just have one piece of paper and it has the entire times throughout the day. And literally, as soon as the behavior starts, you put a tick on the piece of paper, or you may put a Y for yell, and you may put an S for scream or whatever your code is. You put that code down. And then as soon as the behavior is finished, you again, look at your watch and you you know, draw a line down, okay, that one lasted 20 minutes or, oh, that was just one little tick on it because it was, you know, 20 seconds long. You won't be able to track whether it was 20 seconds versus one minute if it's a one minute partial interval, but you will be able to see approximately, you know, this happened four times. It was one minute or less, um, or you'll be able to see, wow, this lasted for about 15 minutes, you know, this many times throughout the day. Um, and it's great because teachers can literally look at the clock mark it down on a piece of paper, look at the clock when it's finished, mark it down again, and there's your data. It's a lot easier than having all those sheets of paper and timers going off. And I'll often see um, on IEPs behavior goals being phrased as percentage. So they will, you know, not engage in this challenging behavior 80% of the time. Um, it's, it's a bit of a funny way to phrase a behavior goal if you're taking frequency or duration data. There, it really isn't a percentage because you're not you're not knowing all those times that it didn't happen unless you're taking partial interval recording. That's really the only way for you to get percentage data because then you have, you know, if you're looking at the entire day and you're marking the intervals where the behavior is happening or is not happening, then you have a percentage of, you know, it happened two hours out of a six hour day or it happened four hours. You know, that's the really the only way to get percentage. But otherwise, there's really no need for percentage goals um, for behavior data. It's really enough to say so and so will engage in this behavior no no more than once per week. Um, and that's a fine goal. And, and I think the idea is that when creating the, the behavior data, first of all, you need to continue to monitor the data. I think that's an important piece also is that the data are only going to be as good as the interpretation. So if you give someone data to collect and then it goes weeks and months and they have a plan and, and nobody checks in, then you're not really doing the right thing either. The, the idea is to review the data, to monitor it. Is the plan working? 
um, is the frequency decreasing? What is the mastery criteria? Um, do we need to make any changes? And continuing to to look at that and have those conversations until you get to the point where you know they hopefully have mastered the plan. And the idea here really is to think think backwards. Like, what is your goal? If the goal is that the child is only has one tantrum a week because that's manageable, then how do we collect data that are going to tell us that information? If the goal is that they you know, are on task for 80% of their day, then what data are going to show us that information? So think about what your goal is at the end, like what is your end goal, and then work backwards. And the data will always help you you know, get there. Um, you shouldn't go the other way where then you're teaching to the data, right? Because then that's not really the point. The point is that you're teaching to the end goal and then have the data reflect what you want them to say. Really great points, Shira. Um, it's really about, you know, what what do you know, what do you want the data to say? What does it need to tell you? What do you need to see from those data? And uh, you know, how can we make teachers' lives easy? You know, how do we collect data, but make this not so cumbersome on the teacher? So those are all the key points you want to think about when setting up a data collection system for negative behavior. For more resources, data sheets, and information on behavior data collection, like we discussed today, go check out the behavior resource community, and you can have access to all of our downloads and data sheets and programming materials. Members.howtoaba.com slash join. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.